Awesome. Thanks so much, Ed. Um, yeah, we're going to have a look at a couple of those, those passages and, and um, actually just sort of finish off this series uh, today for, for now. Um, we've done, this will be the third, third week, and we've been talking about honoring the legacy at, of, of our church here. And um, we're going to kind of continue with this theme a little bit later in the year, but kind of finish it off off for now. And uh, as a part of that, if, if you sort of haven't been with us, it's not something we would normally be doing. Normally, we just teach the Bible. Um, I'm much more comfortable doing this. This is a bit uncomfortable um, for me in some ways, but it's also been uh, really valuable, I think, and it's something the Lord's been, been leading us in. And um, part of it is because Rivers Church will be 50 years old next year, and, and we want to celebrate that and, and lead up to that. And we also feel in a process of generational change and, and want to be positioned for what the Lord wants to do next. And, and Nobody knows what he wants to do next, and we're not locking anything in, but, but we can recognize that he's worked in the past, and he's working now, and we want to see that continue into the future. Um, and then a part of that, we're just encouraging people to share different stories of, of things that have happened in the church, and um, to just hear about the good stuff that God has done, and the funny stories, and things like that as well. And there's obviously been a lot of change in, in 50 years, and even literally just change around here. Um, because Sally told me last week there used to be ostriches across the street. Um, that would, that would, and there used to be yeah other animals. There used to be like chicken manure, and it used to smell in here when the wind blew the wrong way, and it was, and the road was wasn't there, and all this development wasn't wasn't there, and yeah, a lot has changed, right? Around just literally around here, a lot has changed in the world and in the culture. And um, a lot more will change in the future. But what we're really doing is thinking, well, what doesn't change? Because there's some things that haven't changed, right? And there's some things that maybe we get lost and we need to return to and see, see continue. And that's really what we're, we're talking about when we're talking about honoring the legacy is ultimately what God has done and what are the things that don't change. And it's amazing that, that there has been so much change, but there's also been so many things that just literally haven't changed. Like Jerry just said, we do communion every week. It's just something that we do, and it, it's not going to change. It's, it's our, our practice, um, and is intentional. Um, we, we, there's intentionality around that. And sort of just some recap of the last few weeks, we, we started talking about the legacy of, of being a family church and, and sort of how we were founded just by a group of families that decided to, to meet together, um, not even their own initiative. They're just invited into that through some almost kind of random circumstances, and, but then committed for 50 years to, to, to build this place. Um, then last week talked about how uh, we want to be a family, but we also are about formation, that, that the, the church is not a family just that gathers, but actually forms people. And we've had a legacy of what we called know, grow, go, that we want to grow disciples to, to know Jesus, to be like him, and then to, to go. And it's okay if they leave here on mission and they go somewhere else. They don't have to stay. But what we want to do is be faithful to seeing people formed. And none of this that we have done perfectly, and, and we have failed in many ways, but this is our legacy. This is what we also want to aspire to in the future. And really what I want to highlight um, today to sort of finish off these, these three weeks is this legacy um, of being united that actually does come from the legacy of Church to Christ, which is so cool because I literally asked Jerry to do communion this morning. He had no idea that this was the topic, but I knew Jerry just like bleeds this stuff, so it was going to come out of him. Um, but th that's what we're doing today. Like he said, we're actually going to be going back 
more to the 1800s, which is actually where the, the, this movement that we are a part of is just called Church of Christ started. And then obviously Rivers started as the Church of Christ and has continued. And if you just, I straight, if your first thought is, I really don't care about that, then you're a true Church of Christ. <laughs> if you don't care about Church of Christ, you say, I'm just a Christian, that's a Church of Christ thing. And so <laughs> we'll look at that very, very soon. Um, but this um, Church of Christ movement, uh, which doesn't start with that, that name, but, but like Jerry said, is about restoration and about seeking to return to the foundations, return to the New Testament, to be faithful to Jesus' vision. So what we do is we return to that, like we just read, that this was Jesus' prayer. And coming towards his death, um, you could almost think when someone is close to death or, or preparing for death, they, they have a will, right, which is what they want to leave behind, their, their wishes, right? Um, Jesus obviously was preparing for his death the whole time, but, but coming close to it, to see what, see what he's praying for, what he's seeking, what he's doing, there's a whole lot of clarity around it, and, and he actually is praying for us, which is profound. He prays for his disciples, but then, like we read before, um, I don't know if that, we just click on to the next one. Um, that's great. All right, but I'll just, I'll, you can just follow me, Tim. I'll, I'll let you know. So Jesus is praying, and he says he's not praying for them alone, his disciples. It says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Jesus is, is praying, leading into his death, and he's praying for people who will come later who will believe in him, and his prayer and his heart is that they will be, be one. And as Jerry said, Jesus went to the cross. He's made a way that the truth is now we are one in Christ, which we'll look at soon, but Jesus' prayer is still relevant that that we would express that oneness, that we would be one in love. That, and it wouldn't just be that a, a thing that we can say, we're one in Christ, but it would be something that can be seen. It says that the world would actually see that there's differences and diversity, but unity in Christ. And that would be expression of, well, Jesus is at work, because that seems impossible. Is, is really, because Jesus has died and risen again, it's possible that there's unity in him. Um, Paul, again, really highlights this in the New Testament. Obviously, we see it in, in Acts and the, the unity of the early church. Um, but then if you go to the next one, um, Paul highlights this like we read out before, saying that in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. It's this picture of everyone who comes to faith in Christ, is expressed through baptism, puts on new clothes. Um, we even talked about that already or this, in the songs, that we've been washed white, we have new clothes. And then it says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. What the, the picture is, right, that people had these identity markers that were so core to who they were. Jew and Gentile identity is so core. Male and female identity is so core. Position in society based on economics, based on work of slave and free. Like, there's major differences in, in there and identity markers and roles in society. But the gospel is that when you come to Christ, you take that off. You put on new clothes, you put on Christ, 
and everyone sits at the same table and is one, which was a totally profound thing, even the New Testament. That, that like, in, in the culture, right, someone, if someone's a Jew or someone's a Gentile, if they're a slave, their, their ability to participate in society is so linked to that. If you were a male or a female in that society, that dictated what you could and couldn't do and how you could participate in society. But when you came to church, which would mean in someone's home, everybody sits around the table. Everyone shares communion. Everyone can use their gifts because everyone puts on new clothes. They take off their old allegiances and wear Christ. This is what the gospel is, and it's to really be a reflection of unity in diversity, which is God's heart, that, that heaven and earth would come together, that it's an expression even of God's own nature, that he is Father, Son, and Spirit, yet he is, he is one, perfect in love. There's a unity in diversity. So this is really, if we're going back to like the restoration, is like that God's heart is that his church would be one. That's still Jesus' heart, that we would be diverse, not the same, but united in love. But you know church history, and there's been major, major failings at this throughout all of church history, even the early church. This was still a reality in the early church, that the church is one, but living it out was, was major challenges, major difficulties that you see in the New Testament of people not knowing how to get along or, or still having to go separate ways or, or, not, or just having struggles. That This is a major challenge. Throughout church history, there's been major challenges of people not being unified at all. Even things that have happened that we celebrate, like, like the Reformation and the, the Protestant movement that's so foundational, but then often leads to just the like, thousands of church denominations that we have today and, and people who just leave a church because they don't like it and start their own church. And, and it's just this, this diversity, but that's not unified. Um, and like Jerry said, this, this was um, back in the 1800s pr- particularly pronounced in that people were in different groups that didn't connect with each other, that you couldn't just go to another church. You couldn't just go and take communion. You wouldn't maybe have friends who had different theology or or were part of a different denomination. They were at odds with each other. The the disunity was was huge back then. Um, And in the general culture, though, there was this sort of, um, all these changes that were happening and a a general sense of apathy towards religion and disinterest in in religion, which is kind of interesting even in our culture, in the the changes and, and sort of the decline of Christianity and so forth. But what happened around that time was also just moves of God. And this is talking about in America in the, in the 1800s, so there were times when God would just move powerfully by his spirit. And one of um, the men that Jerry mentioned, um, or, or he mentioned Campbell, but there's another one named Barton Stone, um, who heard about this, that, that people were gathering and God's presence was, was manifesting and moving and people were coming to faith. So he decided to start a gathering with his church at a place called Cane Ridge, and they thought they would have 500 people, and they had 20,000 people show up and thousands of people becoming Christians, and they just kept going um, all day and night. There's a picture there. Um, and they had to meet outside. They had these things called stump preachers, which are people who would stand on a stump and just preach to the crowd who was there and would just continue in worship. And it's just this move of God, which obviously broke out of the denominational barriers out of the churches and just was about being unified and about whatever God is doing, just being open to that, not kind of constricted to to what we might think or the form that was there. And this influenced um, Barton Stone and then others as well to really move away from this strong um, loyalty to denominations, to, to human creeds. 
um, to, the, to the strictness of the rules around fellowship and also rules around um, ministry and, and, and serving. And really their heart was to move to simply being Christians who follow Jesus and who agree on Jesus and who are united in Jesus. Which, again, that's kind of, for most of us today, that's a normal thing. Like, we kind of take it for granted that most people are just, we're just Christians and we're happy to get along with other denominations where there's so many parachurch ministries that is made up of all different people from different churches. But, but there's a history and a story to that, that that wasn't always the case. And it's interesting, there's all this interesting history, which I don't know much about, and Jerry, Jerry would know a lot more about. But one thing I was reading about, which I thought was interesting, was that they um, had a church that they were a part of that had some issues with their denomination, um, but it was a church that was going all right, but they just felt that continuing to meet in the way that they were in the denomination that they were a part of was not advancing the cause of unity because people kind of had to join them rather than just become a Christian, which is what they wanted. They just wanted to be Christians just following Jesus. So they said, we're actually going to close our church. So what they did was they wrote a last will and testament for their church. said, church's dying wish, and then they shut it down because they said, we want to be one body. It's so interesting to read what they wrote. This is just one of their wishes. This is the first one. We will that this body die be dissolved and sink into union with the body of Christ at large. For there is but one body and one spirit, even as we are called to one hope of our calling. Just quoting from Ephesians. It's just such a profound thing to do. They felt in the name of unity, the best thing we can do is actually dissolve what we had and actually just seek to be Christians. And then not seek to start a denomination, but seek to be a movement. And so that's some of the history. Some of the things um, that sort of came out of it, there's, there's lots, but were um, some simple slogans or sayings that kind of articulate this. Because again, the goal wasn't to start a nomination or to sort of have more creeds and articulate things, but just to be Christian. So they came up with these sayings that you might have heard of. One of them um, is the next one there is, no creed but Christ. And again, the history was being in a church which had a statement of faith that was quite exhaustive and, and rigorous, and to be part of it, you had to tick off on everything. And if you had an issue with something, you couldn't participate. And they moved away from that and said, well, actually, we don't, we don't want to have a massive creed like that. We just want Christ. And if you agree on Christ, then we can have fellowship. Then we see you as a brother and a sister, and, and we are one. And this is the saying. Now, th these sayings, I think, have, have problems as well, because, and, and are not necessarily like a literal. It's, like, it's more the sentiment that matters, because Obviously, many creeds are about Christ and about who Christ is, and, and obviously, we can disagree on who Christ is, that there's a need to, to figure out and, and come to an agreement on who Christ is, but, but that, the, the point is that that's the central issue, is who is Jesus? If we agree on who Jesus is and what he's done, and, and you have him in your heart, then we are Christian brothers and sisters, is, is kind of the, the sentiment and the focus around that. Another one, um, which is similar, is called um, Christians Only, but not the only Christians. Again, it was a desire to move away from having denominational 
titles or, or, or allegiances and say, we just want to be known as Christians. We're just followers of Jesus. But if other people are naming other things, it's like, that's fine. Like, they're still Christians as well. It wasn't saying, like, we're the only true Christians because we're doing this. It's just saying, this is, this is what we want, to go back to just being followers of Jesus, not being struck, like, tied down with the traditions that may actually have been causing division. This is so interesting because... Uh, th- this kind of stuff, again, like, I, I was never taught this when I came to Rivers. Um, but, but, I mean, not, like, explicitly taught it, but I caught it. Because when I learned about it, I was like, oh, like, that's all the stuff that we do, right? And, like, no one had to teach it to us. It's just kind of in our DNA because it's part of our, our legacy. And I found this out so inter- in an interesting way on Facebook once because there was um, the census that happened in 2021, and it asked you to list your religion, and it's good for the census to have a more specific detail around that. So Churches of Christ put out a Facebook post, asked me to share it, saying, can you please select Churches of Christ as your religion? Um, and so Hume Ridge Church of Christ sent it, and they articulated it, right? They said, we are a movement rather than a denomination, let alone a religion, but the census is a part identifying parts of Christianity. So if you're part of Hume Ridge Church of Christ, if you're part of Rivers Church of Christ, can you please select other and put Church of Christ? But then there were some responses from our congregation. You can go to the next one. From Adrian said, actually, I put Christian in the other box. And Janelle said, yeah, I'm with Adrian. Christian for me. And I just thought that was so great. Because that's the Church of Christ thing to do, is to say, I just want to be a Christian. Right? Like, and this, there's value in it for the census. But it was just like that's a value that comes from this legacy of like, we're not loyal to churches of Christ, right? That's not our badge. We just want to follow Jesus. But that's actually what churches of Christ is about, in a sense. Um, I, I just had to fill in, throw in Bill's comment, the next one, just for fun. Bill Hay, I did as directed. Thanks for your help. The census got down to the details. I would not have been surprised if they'd wanted the size of my undies. <laughs> Bald head, crying, laughing face. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. <laughs> so, this, these are just like slogans, and it's kind of in, in, in our history, right? That we just want to be Christians. This, this last one is a famous one as well that um, you can go to that, that next one that you might have heard. It's not actually from Church of Christ, but they adopted it. It's that in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things love. And this has come up multiple times throughout church history and is really core saying in the Church of Christ movement. And again, it's this idea that if we agree on Jesus, if we're centered on him, if we're seeking truth through the scripture, then like that's what matters. And if people come to different interpretations on things that are not central or if they have different preferences based on their personality or if they have some traditions that they like, like that's fine, like let them do it. It's okay. But in that, continue to be one and continue to grow in love. And um, again, there, there can be issues with this. It's not that simple because people might disagree on, well, what is essential and what's not essential and, and so forth. So this, is, this one saying doesn't solve everything, but it's the, the heart behind it is, like, don't divide over non-essential things. Because sadly, we do that all the time. John Stott um, writes in his book, Balanced Christianity, said, like, it is so amazing just how much stuff every Christian agrees on. That's like major beliefs about who Jesus is, about the Bible, about God the Father, about the Spirit, about the hope of heaven. Like, there's all these things that we agree on. 
And then there's this like tiny side issue of expression or interpretation that we're like, I don't want anything to do with those people because they think that. <laughs> and it's like, it's ridiculous. And it's a spiritual battle. Like, it, that's why it's so hard. It's a, it's a huge battle. But this, this heart, right, is that, well, if someone disagrees on that, it's fine. Like, like we don't, can have liberty to have a different opinion. And we've practiced this at, at Rivers. I even remember Alan Herman would often preach like this if he was preaching on something that was more contentious or countercultural, that would have multiple views, sometimes he would just say, well, this is one view, this is another view, this is another view. And he wouldn't even say what his view was. He would just say, make up your mind, right? Like, you're welcome here at Rivers to have a diversity of opinions and a diversity of views. Like, seek to make sure you're seeking the truth. It doesn't mean you can just believe whatever you want. Like, you need to seek truth. You need to use scripture. You need to trust the spirit. We need to debate, we need to seek to grow. It doesn't mean that all these things don't matter, but it means that we don't make secondary things the main thing and just divide over things that are not essential. Um, because it's so easy to do that, and even part of my story is that I did that for a while, and it even involved me leaving here for a while. I went through a season of, of being um, with a group and just sort of being in a mindset of just thinking that we were the ones who were right. I had the right interpretation, had the right approach, we had the truth, and everyone else was wrong. And, and for a while, it was even thought the rivers was wrong, and like, I just went to a really different church for, for a season and, and was in this group, and there was a sense of security in it because it felt quite secure to, to think that we're, we're the ones who are right and we're the ones who are seeking the truth, and there was even a sense of pride in that. Um, but there was also a lot of judgment, and I went through... Um, a time then where I kind of realized that and realized, well, actually, I'm just being proud. Actually, I'm afraid. Actually, I don't have grace for people. And kind of snapped out and was in this group where we were so sure about so many things. And then well, it was like, actually, I was wrong about a lot. And then this kind of made me swing to this other side of like, well, if I was so sure and I, now I think I was wrong, like, how do I know anything? And just went into this major period of, of doubt and confusion. But then ultimately, just came back to this place of, I trust Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I put all my weight on him. I'm probably going to be wrong about a whole lot of other things, but I'm just going to trust and focus on, on him, which, again, is really part of this um, legacy of Church of Christ and at Rivers. And I think that's one of the things that's so great about Rivers is that that's our heart, is that this is about Jesus. This is about people meeting Jesus. We, we love him and we worship him. And when we have services, they're all about him, which is so great. And that's, that's been our focus. It comes from that, that legacy. And it's, it's so cool to see that continue. And that's really, again, why we're, we're doing this, because we want to see um, and believe that God wants to continue this legacy, that, that what he has done in the past here at Rivers, we want to see continue into the future. And, and a part of that involves this process of generational change and, and succession. And, and some of the, uh, the phrase, or we kind of come up with our own slogan. Maybe that's, yeah, it's another Church of Christ thing to do, is come up with slogans. And like we, we came up with this slogan, which is called, Honor the Past and Release the Future. That's what we're doing. We're honoring the past, honoring the legacy, honoring the foundations, but also want to be releasing and releasing and open to what God does next and God doing new things that are still in line with what's happened, not changing everything, but, but maybe things will change and maybe he's doing things that we're not, um, we haven't expected and, and want to be open to that and releasing toward that. And like I said before, like Jesus came to make a way for unity required his death. 
and he gave his life. The, the, the Church of Christ history, like a lot of it, the sort of key moment was when they decided that their church needs to die and actually move into this unity movement. And actually, if we're going to honor the legacy and release the future, we need to experience a death of a kind, personally, each of us, which may be different depending on where you are. If your heart and passion and default is that you just want to run into the future and you love change and you just want to experiment, you just want to see things different and you're like, what are we even doing this for anymore? Why don't we just get on with it? Maybe there needs to be a death to that, a death that actually comes back and says, no, like there's a history, there's a legacy, there's a foundation here. It's not about me. I need to die and actually honor that while it's still being true to what God's saying. As well, maybe if your default is more to be afraid of the future and to want to just hold on to the past and think, well, so much has changed, we don't want any more to change. And there's a starting to hold on to that and to enter to control. And there also needs to be a death, a death of releasing the future, of being open to God of actually recognizing that actually some things that we grow attached to are actually in that non-essential category. And what we have to hold on to is, is Christ. And even our church, we don't hold on to as ultimate, right? That, that we're doing this series, which we're talking a lot about rivers again, which we don't often do. And, and the point is not that we want to hold on to rivers or, or that we just want to keep rivers going. Like That's not the point. The point is we want to hold on to Jesus. We want to hold on to his global body, but we want to see a local expression of that here and believe that he's actually doing that. So that the, the, we're not holding on to um, ourselves, but actually called to lay that down. And as I've been mentioning that we're in this process of generational change, and one of the, the big challenges is unity across generations. Because generations in our culture, because of the change in our culture and our world, are so different. Depending where you were born, what year you were born in, has massively affected your experience of the world and of your perspective on life. And there's very different experiences among us, and it can lead us to be divided. And again, in our culture, we can so easily place those as our markers or our clothes that we label our generations and put on clothes of being millennials or being um, boomers or being exes or being iogen, whatever it is, and sort of think that that defines us. But what we need to do is let that die. That is an identity that's an old one. And we put on the new clothes of Christ and his kingdom because his kingdom perspective when we look at it like there's only one church, when we look at it biblically, there's actually only one generation. There's this psalm, Psalm 24. I'll just read this as we come to finish. It says, Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. We could also say does not put their allegiance to another identity or another marker rather than God. They will receive the blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. And this was written thousands of years ago, but it's speaking about one generation. It's the generation who seeks God's face. Uh, in 1 Peter 2, Peter talks about a chosen generation. That actually that's all that matters, and that's the thing that ought to define us, is that we are united in seeking God's face. We are united 
in Christ. We let go of other markers, of other identities. We put on the clothes of Christ and seek to be united. So, and that is only possible as we continue to be a people who seek his face. We don't seek to be unified. We seek him. And as we recognize we're all seeking him, we realize that we start to be unified and united. So that's, that's the heart, that's the vision, I suppose, of where we want sense that God is, is calling us and the, the challenge is for each of us personally to lay down the, the, the identity markers, the things that may divide us and to just focus on Christ, to recognize Christ in each other, to recognize Christ in people from other churches and other denominations and to recognize that we are, are one and seek to reflect that unity. So as we finish today, um, the band could probably come back up and um, I've just got a couple of questions to reflect on. So there's uh, some just personal questions to reflect on as, as we then lead into to worship to finish, which is what clothes are you wearing? I was thinking about that when I came to church today. What clothes am I wearing? Because I can easily wear pastor's clothes, right? Or I could wear 34-year-old clothes. Or I, I could wear male clothes. Like, but actually the invitation is, well, put on Christ. You come as someone who's in Christ. What are your hands holding on to? 